This is the Championship Club Podcast, the show that shines a light on English rugby's second flight. Join us every fortnight and check us out on the socials at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And we are back. This is the Championship Clubs Podcast. It is the second episode of Series 2. On a personal note, I'm Michael Casey. I'm delighted to be back in the hot seat. Uh, Gully, when you recorded last time, we were looking ahead to the the first round of the new season with with you know much excitement. We're now we're now three rounds deep, and obviously looking into round four next week. And I mean, I think the results have been incredible, um, really, really unpredictable. I tried to predict some results from the last round on our on our Instagram account. I think I got two out of six. But uh, what have you made of the early season results and the the runners and riders? Hey, it's been it's been really interesting, hasn't it? Um, I had a, I had a go at predicting the first week, and then second week and third week and I'm just looking back through the fixtures and the one thing that jumps out is how close all the games are uh really really tight fixtures uh I think sort of in week two we had A-Ray on didn't we and sort of he was talking about the banana skin of Amtil it's not really a banana skin anymore is it because Cov don't win down there so that although seemed like a bit of a surprise after they've been beating Donny in the first first weekend actually Amtil Amtil at home is a is a tricky opposition for anyone so it's a good good win for the mob uh, good, good for Tommy as well, who's coming back from his hip operation. I think he was on the sideline for the first time, so good win there. I think week two, looking at the results again, we had the, the Richmond-Nottingham game, which is another close one. Um, and then, obviously, I think the standout one that weekend was the Jersey-Bedford game. So we've got a good friend of ours, Gareth, who, who was over there in Jersey, and apparently that was a belt of a game. And the scoreline doesn't really, there's 40-28, but I think it was a lot closer there. And I think the Jersey fans were in for a bit of a treat. And uh, it was a cracking weekend for all the fans that went over from Bedford as well. So week two was a cracking weekend. Um, and then going back to this weekend, Pirates, eh? Did it again on Sunday. So uh, turning over the big boys, which they've got a habit of doing now. So especially early on in the year, that's the one that sticks out. And it's sort of, I think everybody's won a game by London Scottish. So it's, it's the league's really, really tight. Jersey set at the top and beaten, but only haven't played two games. So... Yeah, it's, it's looking like an exciting league uh, and some great rugby being played, looking at some, some of the games and some of the highlights I've seen. Yeah, it uh, certainly has been. Uh, I know from a Donny perspective, we were, we were down at Goldington Road on Friday night and uh, lost out 31-23 there. But probably Donny's best performance of the season so far and hopefully we can build into that. Jersey Reds at Castle Park on Saturday and uh, Steve Bowden made a point when I interviewed him this week that if we were to beat Jersey on uh, on Saturday, that every team in the league would have lost and we are only four rounds deep, which I think is incredible and just highlights the openness of the league. Uh, there is, of course, a team that have had their own uh, remarkable Remarkable result around the uh, fixtures that we've had so far that we haven't talked about. And it brings me nicely to introduce today's first guest. Kicking off with a, with a belter, he is the Vice Chancellor, Principal and CEO of Hartbury University and has recently been drafted onto the Championship Strategic Review Working Group, which we will doubtlessly talk about later on. But Russell Marchant, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Hi. Hi, Mike. Thanks. Glad to be here. Uh, Russell, uh, let, let's let's dive into it. Obviously, three results uh, mm. for yourself, and I mean, I bet when the fixture list came out, you were thinking, "Flipping it, we've uh, we've been tucked up a little bit here." Started with a visit of the Trailfinders, then you've got to go to the Menai, and then obviously a resurgent Nottingham in week three. Um, what's the mood in the camp down there in in Gloucester uh, on the back of the first three results? Yeah, I I think um, we're quite happy with how things are, and I think the squad's in a good place at the moment. Um, Barnsley and Pasty are coaches. Uh, Plan a really tough start to the season. Our pre-season was Worcester, Ospreys and Bristol. Um, and then you tack on to that, as you say, going away to Ealing and hosting Pirates. So 
uh, a really tough start for the squad. And we were concerned to, that at the end of that five-week period, their, their heads were up and they'd still be as positive as they were at the beginning. And they certainly have achieved that. They've done a, done a great job and the lads have really stuck well together. Um, as far as the league goes, yeah, we... Um, Elon caught us a bit cold to start with, um, and we got back into the game uh, in the second half, only to to see it go away a bit in the last ten minutes as uh, as we ran out of steam a little bit. Um, Pirates he, here nearly a fortnight ago. Pirates, we love having Pirates here for their spectators and the crack. We hate having them here as a team because we've never beaten them in the championship before this year. And so a great day for us. The boys put on um, a heck of a performance and uh, really stood up physically and uh, and went for it. And the result didn't flatter us at all. You know, we could have had another couple of scores which were chalked off for reasons which we can't figure out on a video. Um, so, uh, <laughs> but that happens to us all, no doubt. Um, then, inevitably, after five weeks of, of hard, hard games, uh, we picked up a few knocks and bumps and bruises. We went away to Nottingham, uh, determined to try and follow up that good result against Pirates. Um, key player tweaked an injury in the warm-up, which didn't help. And then I think we must have had the fastest yellow card of the season after four seconds. Um, and by the time that boy was back on the park, we were 14 points down and and um, struggling a little. Um not that there was anything wrong with the decision. The decision was 100% correct. Uh, but, you know, we came back into that and we, we, whilst we lost the game, we came away full of positives because we demonstrated that we could get back into the game, get over that early setback. And um, with some youngsters coming through who were getting opportunities because of injuries and they didn't let us down. Um, so, yeah, the squad's in a good place at the moment and uh, looking forward to uh, tomorrow night's game. I just, just Russell, just sort of my like, view and of Hartbury over the years is sort of one that Mike touched earlier. I'm not entirely clear on everything, but lo- looking at the season and looking from the outside, you know, that first game against Ealing, you know, like you said, you got one on the nose, early doors, and then you've come back into the game and get to score 20 points, I think. And I think sort of, is that, would you put that down to a bit of belief? You've had your coaching staff in there for a long time now with, with Barnsley and Pasley. Pasley's been there for a long time. And um, is that settled coaching group helped with your sort of settling into the championship? Obviously, you've risen through the leagues quite a lot over yeah. the years, like your Amtals, your Ealings and Jerseys. Um, and that, having that settled group of coaches and allows players to come in and, and play with confidence and have a, have a good crack at, at championship rugby. I think having a settled group of coaches uh, certainly helps. You know, you add Wayne Thomas, Thompson to that in the scrum and so on, uh, and Reese Oakley. You, it, it really does help. Um, you know, this is our fifth year in the championship. We will inevitably see a massive change in squad year on year. So some of it comes down, you know, You've got a lot of young boys coming through because that's what we're here for. Um, and it's uh, it's a challenge for our coaches to recruit the right kind of people, mature players, older players who can fit into that setup and add value to it and um, and just help. For some of our younger players, they're very much maturing as, as semi-pros at that level. It's interesting you say there, Russell, obviously it is now your fifth year in the league, but I think maybe to some of us, it still feels a little bit like you are the the new boys in many respects. Now, 
I'm, I'm a Hartbury alumni myself. Um, it's an institution very close to my heart. I had three great years there and one that I know a lot about. But we, we haven't really had the opportunity to shine a light on the Hartbury as Hartbury RFC, the championship side, or the wider institution. Um, I know at Doncaster, we kind of are self-titled the most promoted side in English rugby union history. But I'd say... Your Saturday side would certainly give us a run for the money on that on that accolade. And uh, yeah, if you just yeah. tell us a little bit more about the, the last couple of decades that you've had. Well, I suppose, you know, Harbury, rugby at Harbury started in the early 2000s. So we've, we've come a fair distance uh, since then. Um, the early sporting model at Harbury was, was almost American university type. You know, let's uh, decide that we're going to have a team We'll throw some big scholarships about. We'll bring in some uh, big players. Academically, maybe not um, the strongest academic. Uh, academically, yeah, that uh, sounds maybe. about right for myself. Like how you ended up. And you you build that success and reputationally that builds. And we've kind of evolved from that model now. Yet we do very much see what we're doing on the pitch as part of um, a recruitment exercise for the university and the college. It's a massive part of what we do, uh, but it is very much a genuine dual pathway now. And uh, we we want you know we can't take on players that want uh, students that don't want to engage academically and don't want to engage in courses. Um, so we've kind of matured the model and created that dual pathway for both college and university students, and that works. And that works really well. I think you, at the moment, you know, we run 17 teams every week wow. across the different levels. People think Harbury is just about one or two teams. It's not. There's 17 teams out there. Uh, we have a heck of a lot of impact on clubs in Gloucestershire. Um, there's, there'll barely, hardly be a club in Gloucestershire that doesn't have Harbury students playing for it, Harbury alumni, um, Harbury coaches involved, etc. And that's really, we're really keen on that. Uh, we're really open to that. It's, it's fantastic to see Cinderford doing so well in National One at the moment and to recognise so many of the boys that are there. And that's that's brilliant. Um, so, yeah, the RFC is the top of the pyramid for us. It's the probably the most obvious shot window. But Bucks rugby is important to us. Ace rugby is important to us. Women's rugby, the Gloucester Harbury team, they're all important. As in, you know, we've nearly 2,000 sports students here. Uh, and that's a big part of our recruitment exercise is the profile of these teams. I think it's pretty... Um, these are the things that I, I didn't know. Like it's sort of, you, I sit, sit here listening, and 17 team, teams are, are going out a week. That's that's some achievement. That is yeah. that is not only players developing, is it? You've got a coach development side there, squad there. Yeah. Uh, team, not squad, um, and it's the, the bigger picture. You've got all of your your S and C students, I imagine, that are all part of this, and it's yeah. because it's a massive impact, not just only on, like you say, the RFC team, but it's the development of the whole program. And I've, as a result of that, teams in the area are benefiting from it, and also rugby, you know, the bigger yeah. bigger picture things, oh, the rugby world benefiting from from that program. The spread of Hartbury alumni, whether they're players, S and C nutritionists, uh, sports therapists. Is, is massive and that's you know it's kind of virtuous circle because we have so much sporting activity here I mean we're 17 rugby teams but we put out 43 teams a, a week across rugby football netball all the rest of the sports so you've got some great opportunities for therapists coaches everybody to develop here on the campus you know um, 
and that that's huge. Probably the one one we're missing that we'll probably be looking to address in the near future is referees. You know, we offer plenty of opportunities for coaching development, but we're not we're not good at supporting referee development yet, or not as good as we could be. So that's 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 our next area, if you like, that we want to look at. You touched well, Mike's on. about to retire. <laughs> Mike, get your hand away. <laughs> <laughs> you you touched yeah. on um, the alumni that you have. Um, and I mean, it's a pretty impressive cast. And the, the, I think there are literally, you know, you say hundreds of ex Harvey students playing international, have played international rugby, but there are actually hundreds. Um, I've, I've listed a couple here, Johnny May, Ellis Genge, Johnny Hill, Louis Street Summit, Ross Moriarty. And then on the women's side, the likes of Kelly Smith, Titania Hurd mm. and Tabitha Cobson is the the development of those players are they just kind of are they jewels in the crown or is that that, that is the strategic pathway to create these players is that is that the focus or is that just almost as I say the topping the uh, the, the icing on the cake it's an interesting um, it's an interesting point you make Mike and and we look at that here because the reality is um, what people look at are the results of those 17 teams or 43 teams in different sports or whatever. That's what, but for us internally, we're about developing individuals. So we, you know, it's some, and it's finding that balance. And, and I think coaching in a setup, you know, people might look at Harbury and look at our coaching team and think, well, that's a cushy job there. But I actually think it's, it's, a, it's one of the toughest jobs because you've got to balance the, um, the priority of developing the individual and allowing that individual to, to get to their full potential with what you're trying to do with a team. And they don't always match. Sometimes you have to make really tough calls um, in the interest of the individual. You know, I look at you know Lewis Rees-Samet, for example, when he came to us as a 16-year-old, he was an out-and-out centre, big lad for his age, six foot plus, used to running through under-16 squads in, in Wales. It was the coaches here that moved him onto the wing, changed, developed, helped him develop that, that skill set. Now, you know, we were over the moon when Lewis got into the uh, Lions. And uh, one of the best moments for me was when they had new Lions presenting a, a shirt online to somebody who'd had the biggest impact on their career. Well, Lewis gave it to Wayne Thompson, who's, a, who's an ex-front rower, uh, but the, the, our junior academy manager, uh, and that said it all for me. And uh, so it's finding that balance. We're always we're always trying to pr produce the next um, England international, the next Welsh international. For me, obviously, over the moon that we've got Alex Craig capped for Scotland, but hopefully Ben Velikot will not be too far behind him. And um, yeah, we're always looking at those individuals and, and finding that balance. It, just looking at my own career, Russell, and it yeah. makes me feel a little bit better looking at because I played for Amptill against Hartbury uh, two years on the row at Hartbury, and I think both games we were going at a point a minute. <laughs> and I <laughs> think I look back at the squad. I think Pledgey was playing. I think Bellacott was yeah. playing. I think Prothero danced around us about ten times and scored fifteen tries. It felt like. And yeah. I remember coming back coming back from Hartbury. I think I'd have been mid thirties, and uh, Georgie, my wife, was she drove me back to Coventry where my parents live, and I couldn't speak. I was. I was done. I was like, that's it. I, I am not playing rugby again. But now I, now I look back at the squad and I think, oh, actually, it, was, it wasn't too bad. There were some proper, serious rugby players. I think it was, was Negri yeah. with you as well at one point. Yes, just, yeah. Seb, just, 
Seb yeah. Negri was a big student, a big big man for us. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a phenomenal, like it's a churn of players, isn't it? And it's just, you know, you just produce and produce. And it's great to see this. there's probably a whole line that you know about that we don't know yet that could be coming through through over the next few years. Oh, definitely. We, you know, we we um we work obviously very closely with Gloucester, but we also work with with other premiership clubs in the Welsh regions and we're constantly bringing people through. And I, you know, I can see you can see youngsters here, and you think, "Yeah, he's going to end up in a white shirt before too before too long." I mean, we always thought Lewis Rees-Zamet had the real potential to go the full way. We just didn't. I, I think he surprised us in just how quickly uh, he got that international recognition and took his chance. But there are others along the way um, coming along, you know. And uh, I. I'm hesitating to name them because I think you put a hell of a lot of pressure on a young kid if you, if uh, if it ever got out. So I'll 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 hang on to those names, but certainly um, there's a few that will be there in the next two or three four years. That's for sure. It's... Yeah, and just sorry, Mike. I was just going to just touch on uh, just the squad and the squad dynamic. Obviously, you've had uh, Luke Eves who's been there a while now. Mm. Sort of in terms of recruitment for that squad, those they're, they're important signings for you, aren't they? Because if you get you get the wrong character or the, the, the player is in it for the wrong reason, it can really disrupt what's going on within the club as yeah. well. has gone in over the years. Yeah, I mean, um, Jimmy Williams has been a great. Uh, re-signing, if you like, for Harbury. I haven't been with us before and come back. And JB, Scum Halfs, um, had a great impact on the squad. So um, people like that, uh, Greaves uh, in the back row over many years. He hasn't played as many games maybe recently, but he's still a good influence on the squad. And that's what you want. You've got, you've got people like that that the youngsters can look up to and uh, get the right attitude from. And also imagine they, um, you've got the one end where you've got the youngsters starting their careers and then the guys mm. at the other end is sort of that transition sort of period as well, which potentially you guys can help with, isn't there? <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, there, there is. Um, sometimes that transition period for them is maybe topping up their qualifications, maybe completing a degree or a master's and getting them, making themselves employable. Sometimes it's the first step into coaching, uh, and um, that's important as well. So uh, yeah, we look, we try and look at the big picture. So obviously, talking about the big picture and this sort of holistic approach to rugby development, and of course the the academic side of it, um, it's quite interesting. I'd be quite interested to hear where the sort of the the championship ambition lies for for the Saturday side. Then obviously we are sort of a championship rugby mm. show, and we we talk to guests who. They sort of live and die by that uh, that Saturday result of Championship Rugby, and obviously at Hartbury, it's it's part of a much, I guess, big. It's a, it's a cog in a big wheel. But in terms of the ambition for the Saturday side, then this season and you know the next two or three, what, where is that, Russell? Yeah, I think um, we are different. There's no doubt about that. You know, we've just. Uh, but I'll, I'll give you an example. Tommy Matthews, our number ten, England under number ten, been a college student went away in Northampton's, come back to us as a university student this year, uh, doing really well, and Wasps come along and offer him a three-month contract. So we we don't stand in his way. We just, you know, that's straight away, Tommy, you've got to go. Um, but he'll continue to study as a student online. And if there's any benefit from all the hassle we've had with COVID, it's that we've become pretty damn good at delivering online if we need be. So that's a great example of an individual. Um, it does disappoint me a little bit and I, you mentioned the RFU re- review group 
And I, I get a bit annoyed at people in there that say, well, there's only two or three clubs in the championship have got any ambition. That's bollocks. We've got loads of ambition. We want our team to be as high up that championship table as possible. We want as many boys to be progressing through us into premiership contracts and into internationals. And that's our ambition. And that's what we focus on. Um, and if it meant, if you know, if, if we won the championship one year, we wouldn't be embarrassed about that. We'd be absolutely over the moon, you know. And so, and there are other clubs in the championship that maybe aren't full-time pro clubs, but they still have ambition. I think it's really wrong of people to think, well, if you're not full-time in the championship, if you're not pushing to get into the premiership, you've got no ambition. That's rubbish. Uh, I love that, and uh, I think that probably strikes true with uh, with a lot of other people that have come on the show or have um, have listened to the show. Um, you touched on it, and I think now seems like a, a good time to to get into it then. So the the strategic review um, for those that are unaware, and the idea is it's you know it comprises a a cast of of people across rugby, some some big names in there, obviously like Sir Ian McGeek and John Inverdale, Nigel Melville, Phil de Glanville, Conor O'Shea, plus plus many many more and so my understanding is it's a, a, an organ an, a working group that will meet between august and december with uh, a mandate to review the structure governance commercial and financial models that underpin the league um and then provide recommendations to the rfu in the new year for a more sustainable efficient and successful championship um how is it going what's happened what's the update i've got so much that i'd, I'd, I'd like to know and really interested in what you can tell us uh, russell it sounds so so easy when you explain it like that uh, <laughs> <laughs> and obviously you know there are some there's some confidential elements that I can't talk about. I was, I mean, Conor O'Shea asked me to, to join the group and I probably think possibly because I, I'm not typical, I'm not a club owner, I'm not, a, I don't come with too much baggage and I'm genuinely interested in the development of the game and, and, uh, and the health of the game. It is a tough group. It's, it's tough for the whole review group though. Um the rights and wrongs of the RFU decision to, to slash funding it, is almost in the past. There's no point in going back over that ground. And there aren't any um, pots of honey uh, that are suddenly going to right that wrong. So as clubs in the championship, we have to accept that. And it's not just those that are there now. It's those that are in National 1 with aspirations to come up, etc. So it's interesting. And it, it is a dilemma for the, the review group because... Is the championship there as a club development route, as a you know the top of that pyramid and clubs going up, potentially doing an Ealing or a Pirates and pushing to go into the Premiership, or is it there as a player development route? You know, because I can sit, I can sit at one end of the continuum and say, in my view, how do we make the championship really worthwhile? Um, and that has to be about how it links to the success of English rugby at the and English rugby right at the top. Um, and for me which is a bit strange sitting here as a Scotsman. Uh, <laughs> everything should be about England winning the World Cup. England wins the World Cup. We get young kids excited about rugby. We get people coming into our game. We get sponsors getting, you know, and it becomes, it generates a momentum. Um, so, yeah, I lean more towards the, how does this develop players? How does this give players a pathway um, to potentially become premiership players and England players, et cetera, and down the line? At the same time, it's how you get that club structure. I'm not a great fan of ring fencing. Uh, I've probably changed my mind on that in the last couple of years. 
and and partly through talking to people who have been involved in the in the uh, Celtic setup, you know, the Pro 14 and so on, and how um, how they struggled with dead games and how they struggled to get crowds and sponsors and people interested. And that's the danger with with ring fencing. And I also don't think it's good to ring fence the championship either. I think you know that there has to be that uh, relegation and promotion with national one. There has to be a progression route. So yeah, it it is tough for the um, the review group. There are no easy answers. Everybody and as you mentioned there, we've got some great names on the group. But with that um, comes the challenge that you a lot of people come with strong views and and you're trying to make some coherent recommendations and progress out of that. So there's a lot of work going on at the moment, a lot of views being taken on. Um, I think we will come up with a, a, a route map, if you like, for the future of the championship. Whether it will be as, as rosy as we all might hope, um, yeah, I'm less confident about that. There are no easy answers. You know, we've, I mean, I worry about the professional game as a whole in England as well. You know, we've got, it's all right saying, well, we've got to control We've got to create a sustainable championship, a financially sustainable championship. Do we think we've got a financially sustainable premiership? Have we? Heck, you know, you know, I, you look through the books and the accounts of those those premiership clubs, and none of them are sustainable without philanthropic donations, whatever, you know. Um, and that's that's a problem for our game. You know, it's all right. You know, the easy answer is okay, cut the salaries, but we cut salaries, we lose players to Japan, we lose players to France, we lose, you know, and, and that. That undermines England winning the World Cup. <laughs> so uh, it's it's a tough process at the moment. Um, there's lots of different angles to consider. It's just um, like if, if the focus is a World Cup, which is every four years, I suppose one of the questions that I have is if you don't win the World Cup, <laughs> you know, over those four years, you know, the four years, it's got to be something that's just consistent. Mm. So, so if that doesn't happen, but we're still producing players, it's still a success. Mm. But it's just sort of, I know, it, <laughs> I imagine there's a lot of different views and it's a bit tricky, isn't it? Uh, but yeah, that's sort of one that jumps out there for me. Yeah. I mean, for, for us as a game going forward, there's so many alternative sports out there now and so many alternatives for youngsters to get engaged in. And, um, it's constantly how we attract young people into, into rugby uh, and how we get them excited about it. And they get... In England, they get excited if England are doing well. Yeah. You know, I, I, with our Gloucester Harbury women's teams um, playing some fantastic rugby at the moment, there's some great rugby to watch in, in that league. Um, and I had my grandchildren down from Scotland last weekend. I took my granddaughter, who's um, better get her age right, eight, uh, along to see Gloucester Harbury play uh, Quinns. And it was brilliant. She got excited about it, you know. Uh, she got excited about rugby. She's already in mini rugby at, at her home club, but now she's going back with a bit more excitement and she got to talk to players afterwards and all the rest of it. So it's, yeah, they're, the, they're our future players. <laughs> you can't just pick them up at 16 or 17. We've got to create them at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. You know? do, you th- do you think then, and I completely appreciate looking at the, the list on the strategic review, some you know the great and the good with rugby but all with i guess skin in the game and an opinion in in many respects do you think we will see and i appreciate you're gonna have to keep some things to yourself uh, but any sort of drastic changes when these recommendations are presented in the new year i, th- I think if i'm honest it's slightly early for us to say that at the moment and and you know with the group is still um very much taken on board outside opinions as well so it's not just about 
those that are sat around the table having to have all the answers. It's also about listening to other people in the game and getting their views as well. So we're still kind of storming and forming ideas at the moment. Um, and then we'll have to start to narrow them down in the next uh, few months. Is there sort of a roadmap in place of how of how that looks then and what might happen in, say, November, December and the rest of this month? Well, I think as, the, as um, Conor O'Shea, I'm sure he has um, shared it, the aim is to get... Uh, some proposals to RFU Council and, and Board in the new year, and we're still we're still aiming on that. We don't want this thing to drag out. Can I have a look? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's going to have any any chance of making changes for next season. It's got to be ready for for Christmas, basically. I, I just um, from a personal point of view, and I spoke to a few people. I quite like to see it move to the summer. Um, you know, you're talking about um, families, uh, young people young children watching rugby you look at the cricket and what they've done with the 100 um you know especially sort of on the women's side georgie wife which used to play and i think the championship mirrors it a little bit in many senses trying to find that niche supporters and it's can we make the game more attractive to families to watch and would that be more attractive because we're watching rugby in warmer climates or warmer weather and you know, it's that that's that's got to be something that potentially be on the table from from your end, or I imagine it'd be discussed. But obviously, there's there's a whole world calendar to look at as well. There isn't there, so it's not just as easy an idea, is it? It's, but it would be a good way of attracting uh, new supporters and keeping current. I think it is a yeah, it's a, it's a big debate, isn't it? Summer rugby. I you know I was a um, a low speed second row in my day uh, for many many years, and the idea of hammering around on rock hard pitches never never appealed too too much but I wasn't too worried about people being on a touchline watching either um so there's a there's a bigger picture there I think the problem for us is if we say well okay we'll take the championship and make it a, a march till September league it's how it integrates with the premiership and national leagues and how do you make sure that in that kind of scenario those national league clubs still have the opportunity to progress and come into it and how do you make it uh, cross-linked because um, whether we like it or not in my view premiership rugby clubs and championship rugby clubs will inevitably come closer and closer and work more closely together going forward you know when we first came into the championship we used to get a lot of stick because of our close relationships with with premiership clubs and and dual registered players and and etc now we never get any stick because everybody's doing it we you know across the board and likewise you know we've seen the demise of the A team league um in the premiership well because they've all reduced their squads they've had to they've had to cut their cloth financially etc you know the last time we had a full A team um program in the early weeks of it that you you might have been as well watching box rugby because we were we were sending some of our second and third team box players to play 18 leagues for premiership clubs it was just crazy um so i'm glad the 18 league has kind of died away it was uh you know, my fear was somebody was going to get seriously hurt when you're putting a, um, a second or third choice, choice student out against a full-time pro. Um, so, yeah, I think we will see the two two merge more closely together, and that makes it really hard for one of them to go summer rugby and the other one not to. How do you think Premiership clubs, and I appreciate it varies clubs to club, um, see their relationship or they see the link with the championship or they see the, the role of a championship uh, club and, uh, and league, I guess? I, I think they they vary, um, 
But on the whole, I do think um, there's a general realisation amongst premiership clubs that the championship gives them a great opportunity uh, to get their younger players game time. And it also is a is a recruitment ground. You know, there are players that uh, don't necessarily go through that premiership academy route, uh, that mature in different ways and different time scales. And, you know, you mentioned Johnny Hill earlier on there as one of our alumni. You know, I still remember um, Johnny Hill, he'd enrolled as a student, college student, came to the, one of the trial afternoons after he'd enrolled and um, straight away the coaches spotted him. He wasn't on Gloucester's radar, he wasn't on Worcester's radar, anybody. He was a local farmer's son. He went back to home that night and told his dad that he'd made the elite squad and his dad, I still remember Johnny telling me, his dad gave him a smack around the head and told him to stop lying. There was no way he were in the elite squad. But, you know, so without other, other routes, Johnny Hill wouldn't necessarily be there. Jake Paledri's another one. You know, it's um, there has to be other routes and the championship is a great way of uh, providing that. And also a way of, you know, when we look at front five forwards, not many of them break into premiership sides at 19, 20. They need somewhere to be learning their craft and, and learning their game. Um, so I think there is a, a huge role for the championship to play in developing players. And and the, the sooner both the premiership and the championship work more closely together, instead of trying to work separately, the better. That was the Championship Clubs podcast. Be sure to come back in a fortnight's time and follow us on social media at Champ Clubs Pod on Instagram and Twitter.